This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you could have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. I'm Margaret Brennan in Washington. And this week on Face the Nation, the countdown to Election Day continues and a political fight over President Trump's Supreme Court nominee begins. She is a woman of unparalleled achievement, towering intellect, sterling credentials, and unyielding loyalty to the Constitution, Judge Amy Coney Barrett. Late Saturday, President Trump introduced his pick to succeed RBG. Meet ACB, a conservative federal appeals court judge who is also a working mother of seven. While I am a judge, I'm better known back home as a room parent, carpool driver, and birthday party planner. If confirmed, the Supreme Court would shift even further to the right, the prospect of which is making the final days of an already bitter and brutal presidential campaign even more divisive. I have no illusions that the road ahead of me will be easy. I assure you that I will meet the challenge with both humility and courage. We'll talk with White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows and former White House Counsel Don McGahn about Judge Barrett's confirmation as well as the president's refusal to commit to a peaceful transfer of power if he loses in November. That's the only way we're going to lose is if there's mischief mischief, and it'll have to be on a big scale, so be careful. Delaware Democrat Chris Kuhn sits on the Senate Judiciary Committee. He'll weigh in, as will former Homeland Security Secretary Jay Johnson. Plus, we'll check in with former FDA Commissioner Dr. Scott Gottlieb and talk with Doug Parker, the CEO of American Airlines. They're poised to lay off 19,000 workers this week as a result of the COVID economy. It's all just ahead on Face the Nation. and welcome to Face the Nation. With just over a month until Election Day, Capitol Hill has become the new battleground in a fierce dispute over the makeup of the Supreme Court. Last night, Senate Judiciary Committee Chairman Lindsey Graham said he expected to start Judge Amy Coney Barrett's confirmation hearings in just two weeks. President Trump told Fox News that he thinks she'll be confirmed before and probably long before Election Day. We begin this morning with White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows, who joins us from Washington. Good morning to you. Good morning. Great to be with you. Have Republican leaders assured you they can deliver on that timeline? Well, obviously, I've, uh, we've been in conversations with Leader McConnell, with uh, Chairman Graham. Uh, he is going to put forth a pretty aggressive uh, uh, schedule for hearings and markups that we believe will happen in the middle part of October. And if all goes well, uh, then certainly a, a, a vote on the floor uh, sometime before the election. But that's going to be up to Leader McConnell and, and the team and making sure that all the senators are well informed of uh, 
the judge's credentials, which are impeccable. Uh, but we're, we're optimistic that we'll be prepared. We'll start delivering uh, the information to the senators tomorrow, and then uh, we'll be on Capitol Hill as early as Tuesday. As early as Tuesday. Sir, when I look at some of the data right now in terms of where the country is with the coronavirus, there are four U.S. states, including Wisconsin, that have had record one-day increases. We're going into cold weather. We're headed towards Election Day. Where's the infection rate going to be? Well, it's hard to tell where the infection rate is going to be, but what I can tell you is the progress with vaccines has just been remarkable. Uh, we've had a, a number of conversations with not only uh, the FDA and those that are involved in making sure that any vaccine is is fully vetted and safe, uh, but additionally, some of the clinical trials are in the, uh, the very late uh, uh, stages of development. And right. so we're optimistic that what we'll be able to do is hopefully t uh, start taking sign up for those vaccines. Uh, and so even as we face this unknown uh, virus that came to us from China, uh, we're trying to make sure that we're prepared to uh, do all we can to mitigate uh, the difficult circumstances that a lot of Americans are facing. But the predictions are not that you could have a vaccine by Election Day, and it is relevant in terms of the infection rate because people have to have confidence to be able to go out and go to the polls. If you look at data from AEI, hospitalizations are no longer declining. In fact, they may be increasing. It doesn't look like this is under control. Well, the hospitalization rate uh, is, if you'll look at that data, whether it's from AEI or anywhere else, the hospitalization rate actually has been a, a good news story uh, over the last several months uh, to suggest that it is spiking up uh, is, is not accurate. I said increasing. But I, can't, uh, but, but, but I, but I can tell you that, uh, well, you know, one or two uh, increases in certain states, uh, certainly we're going to continue to fight this as those embers uh, pop up in, in uh, areas. But we're, we're having uh, ongoing discussions with our governors and mitigation risk. Uh, there'll be an announcement on uh, Monday as it looks at additional testing that the federal government will be providing to all the governors. And so uh, as the president makes that announcement, I think that will be an encouragement so that everybody can go back to school or back to work and feel like they can do that in a safe manner. You talked about a vaccine. The FDA is supposed to be issuing these stricter guidelines. We've been told to right. expect that. But then you reportedly right. called the FDA commissioner and really challenged him on trying to justify doing that. Well, You're not a doctor. Why insert yourself politically into this, which, which feeds well, these concerns uh, so about Mark, interference? Uh, so, Margaret, obviously your producer didn't do a good job of informing you of exactly what I've done. What we actually have is new guidance that's coming out. My question is, why would that new guidance come out after we've already spent $30 billion in doing that? And my challenge to the FDA is just make sure it's based on science and real numbers. And so as we look at that, we're making why very good progress. Why would the progress. FDA not be basing uh, it on science and real numbers? Why would you think that they're doing that? Well, why would you think that we would need new guidance after we've developed vaccines and drugs for for decades, and then all of a sudden we're the going FDA to change something in the last in, in the in the last two weeks? The question is why, Margaret? I mean, why would we do that? I'd also look at this, and as we got into that discussion, here's one of the great things that we're looking at. If we're looking at tens of thousands of people that are in these clinical trials, we want to make sure that it's safe. The phase one, phase two indicated that, that these uh, vaccines that are going through are safe. We're trying to make sure that the guidance we give is not uh, uh, an uh, inhibitor to getting things out fast, but right. it also doesn't detract from it. So I'm optimistic that that guidance will come out uh, based on good sci science and uh, ultimately our FDA guidelines to make sure that all people who take a vaccine can do yeah. that with uh, some kind of assurance that uh, the process is uh, uh, meted out properly. You were on uh, another show on this network earlier this week, and, and you raised questions about the competence of the current FBI director, Chris Wray, after he testified that there was no evidence of uh, voter fraud in a major election by mail or otherwise. Is the president confident in Director Wray's leadership? Well, I think my, my uh, reference to that particular point uh, said that he couldn't find 
emails at the FBI. And so to opine on whether uh, we have wide-scale fraud or not, it's, it's not him that's uh, with boots on the ground. You know and I know that there's actually an investigation that the Department of Justice has, has initiated with some ballots right. being thrown in a waste paper uh, basket. What we want to make sure of is that Nine every vote counts. in Pennsylvania. But, but, Nine ballots, but that's what we found. Mm -hmm. uh, and so we need to make sure that we investigate it. But it's not just the nine ballots in Pennsylvania. It's duplicate ballots in other states. But and so to suggest that that there is a process that is full of integrity uh, is is trying to make a verdict before you've actually heard the case. And that's my, my problem with Director Ray. They need to investigate it and make sure that, that the voting populace uh, makes sure that their him? vote counts the and no one else's does. I beg your pardon? Is the president confident in him? Well, I mean, uh, as we look at this, we want to make sure he's doing his job. There are different degrees of confidence in different cabinet members, and certainly he's still there. The, the minute that the president loses confidence in mm -hmm. any of his cabinet members, uh, he'll they serve at his pleasure. He will certainly look at replacing them. CBS estimates that at least 80 million Americans are going to vote by mail. That's what they plan to do. But the president said last night the whole ballot scam is going to cause a lot of problems for this country. Yeah. Why is he publicly undermining confidence in that? Well, I don't know that he's publicly undermining confidence as much as he's stating the facts. We've got he said it's a scam. Are, uh, well, we've got states that actually are doing things that you would qualify as a scam when you start to look at allowing mail-in ballots to come in seven, nine days after November 3rd, uh, changing the laws through judges that actually are not legislators. I, I think that that's a real problem. And so you, you can call it what you will, but what you can call it is unusual and unique. And, and we need to make sure that what we do is, is ha protect the ballot process yeah. to make sure that we're not creating a situation that is ripe with fraud. And he's right. To, to highlight it, the very fact that we're talking about it this right. morning is a good thing that hopefully all states will look at making sure that they uh, yes. make sure that that ballot is sacred. Yes, and it is up to the states to determine those. We'll talk about that ahead on the program. Thank you, Chief. Sure. We want to go now to Delaware Democratic Senator Chris Coons. He's in Wilmington. Good morning to you, Senator. Good morning, Margaret. Great to be on with you again. You heard Mark Meadows' confidence and the timeline and the confirmation yeah. of, of Judge Barrett. You're laughing. Uh, it doesn't seem, though, that, that Democrats can do much to stop it. Uh, will Democrats do anything to slow it down? Will they boycott hearings? How serious are you about trying to throw sand in the gears? Uh, Margaret, what I was uh, shaking my head about was having just heard Mark Meadows breathlessly trying to support President Trump's desperate efforts uh, to cast doubt on the legitimacy of this election. Um, we should not be barreling forward with this partisan nomination. There's only 37 days until the election. There is no precedent in American history for a president filling a vacancy this close to an election, where I'll remind you more than half of the American states are already voting. We should be waiting until after the election. We should honor Justice mm -hmm. Ginsburg's dying wish that the people should choose the next president, the next president choose her successor. Uh, well, Eisenhower recess appointed Brennan uh, 22 days before the election, but I understand that was without Senate consent, so I hear your point. But the question was, yeah. are Democrats going to do anything to slow this down? Some of your colleagues are saying they won't even meet with the nominee. What will you ask her when you meet with her? Uh, well, I'm either going to meet with her in person or by phone, just another way this pandemic uh, has upended the lives of millions of Americans. Uh, I'll press her on her previous statements about the Affordable Care Act. President Trump said he would only choose a nominee he was confident would overturn the Affordable Care Act. And as you know, Margaret, that's on the Supreme Court's docket just one week after the election. It defies comprehension why President Trump would continue in his efforts to strip away from the American people pre-existing discrimination protection. There's more than 100 million Americans who have a pre-existing mm -hmm. condition, 7 million more because they've been infected in this pandemic. And I'll remind you, Margaret, Justice Ginsburg's life's work was protecting us against gender discrimination 
and before the ACA, insurance companies could and did discriminate against women just for being women by treating pregnancy as a pre-existing condition, charging women more for access to health insurance. It's amazing to me that Judge Barrett has publicly criticized the decision by Chief Justice Roberts Mm -hmm. that upheld the constitutionality of the ACA and that President Trump is making it clear. A vote for Judge Barrett to be on the Supreme Court is a vote to repeal the ACA and take away health care protection from a majority of Americans during the pandemic. I understand that, Judge Barrett introduced herself to the American public as a mother of seven, as sort of a class mom, a very warm uh, presentation in in the public space. How do you fight that? Well, we don't need to fight that. I can respect the fact that she has a beautiful family, that... Uh, Her clerks and uh, students uh, say she's a very talented uh, professor and judge. That's not what's at issue here. What's at issue is both this rushed and partisan confirmation in which President Trump has told us he's choosing someone who will overturn Roe versus Wade. He's choosing someone who will overturn the ACA. And he's choosing someone who President Trump himself says he will need to put their thumb on the scale so that he can win the next election. He's not confident he'll win it fair and square at the ballot box. He says we have to rush through this nominee so that there's nine justices and one he handpicks to, according to President Trump, support him in his reelection effort. Well, he said he won. He he believes it'll go to the court and be decided. Um, I, I understand your points. As you know, with individual cases, judges sometimes are hard to predict, uh, even though you can kind of guess where they yes. stand ideologically. Um, but on the question for her confirmation hearing. Uh, Judge Barrett has been before your committee before because she she was confirmed to the Seventh Circuit Court of Appeals. And at the time, Senator Feinstein said to her, and you know what I'm going to say to you because it's gone viral, the dogma lives loudly within you, and that is of concern. To many people, that sounded like anti-Catholic bigotry. You are a man of faith. How did that comment land with you? Well, Margaret, as you know, millions of Americans rely on our faith to to guide us, uh, to give us a, a framework in which we raise our children and live our lives, a community of meaning and of depth. And um, religious faith should not be uh, at issue here. There isn't a religious test for service in the government, whether it's in the Senate or on the Supreme Court. Should it, is uh, that a legitimate question? Should that be I know raised that as a factor? Justice What should be raised is her opinions, her speeches, her public statements as a professor and a judge, and whether or not she will uphold precedent. As you well know, Margaret, uh, Roe versus Wade, Griswold versus Connecticut, these are settled cases that for decades have allowed Americans to have confidence uh, about the role of the state in terms of their private decisions about health care. And the Affordable Care Act is settled law. The Supreme Court has upheld it as being constitutional. That's on the docket a week after this election. Mm -hmm. That's on the ballot. And that's something Judge Barrett has spoken directly about. It is appropriate for us to question her statements, her opinions, her actions as a professor and judge, but not to go into questions of doctrine or faith personally. Mm -hmm. That's where I'll be focusing my questions on the Affordable Care Act and on what she has said publicly about her views on its constitutionality. Very quickly, first presidential debate is this week. You support Joe Biden. What should we expect? Is this going to be the main argument? You should expect that President Trump, who is a very successful reality TV star, is a master of spectacle. Uh, He will say whatever it takes in order to distract us from Joe Biden, who will again show us his heart, his compassion, his character, Joe Biden has laid out a clear and strong plan for how to get us out of this pandemic, for how to bring us back together, for how to revive our economy. Joe's going to focus on that, and Donald Trump's going to try and distract us however he can. Senator Coons, thank you. We'll be back in a minute. Stay with us. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. We turn now to former Homeland Security Secretary Jay Johnson. Part of his job in that role was combating election interference. He's in Montclair, New Jersey. Good morning to you. 
Good morning, Margaret. Um, it is ultimately up to the states to administer elections. Um, what are your concerns about the integrity and the security of this race? Well, first, Margaret, it's, it's disconcerting to see the president and his chief of staff cast doubt on the integrity of our, our democracy. Uh, in fact, uh, mail-in voting is almost as old as, as the nation. There are states now where the predominant way to vote is by mail. And uh, we, we managed to have a peaceful election in 1944 during World War II. We managed to have a, a, a relatively calm, peaceful election in 1864 when the nation was literally at war with, it, with itself. And so uh, my concern is that the president himself seems to be the one casting doubt on, on mail-in votes in particular. The documented cases of fraud around mail-in voting is a small fraction of something like 1%. Uh, now, having said that, I think all Americans should plan how they are going to vote. What is unusual about this election is that we're going to have to move something like 100 million mail-in uh, ballots. And so I would encourage Americans to plan their vote, vote early, whether it's in person or by mail. I got mine yesterday in the mail. And I plan to return it as soon as possible. Right. You are in New Jersey, which is allowing mail-in um, this year uh, on a large scale. Um, you know, the president said that he thinks this will end up in the Supreme Court. I understand what you're saying about undermining the overall integrity, but many people would say, we've never done this before. It is going to be messy. So is that not a fair question to ask, is, is how can we actually do this? Well, the reality is, Margaret, that, our demo- that one of the special things about our democracy is that whatever power President Trump has uh, evaporates on January 20 at noon. And whoever has 270 electoral votes at that moment, and we can talk about the wisdom of the Electoral College, <laughs> becomes the president. And at that moment becomes commander-in-chief, becomes the director of the executive branch, and the the other candidate walks off as a a private citizen. That's how we've been doing things for almost 250 years, and I'm confident that we will continue to do it in that way. You're saying at 12.01 on January 20th, the Secret Service would escort out President Trump if he loses, that a peaceful transition of power, you are confident, will happen. It's the way our democracy works, Margaret. Um, The president doesn't get to stay in power simply by surrounding himself with the tools and the vestiges of power. Whatever power this president has evaporates at noon on January 2021, and whoever has the requisite number of electoral college votes is the next president. Um, Well, it may be messy getting to that point. Uh, the, The Senate was briefed on election security this week. Senator Mark Warner Uh, said the period immediately before and after the election could be uniquely volatile. What does that suggest to you? Well, in terms of the the external threat, uh, the threat from the Russians and others, uh, I, I agree with what the FBI director said this past week, that we have to be on guard in particular for disinformation, pushing out extremist views, fake news, which is why I think all Americans should take the trouble to inform themselves about how they're going to exercise their vote and and look past the noise. Without a doubt, this election will be unusual because of the number of mail-in ballots. But we've done this before. We've done this since almost the beginning of our democracy. The other unusual thing about this is you have a president who, frankly, is trying to ratchet up the anxiety and the Mm -hmm. concern about our democracy. I think all Americans have to have history in mind and know that we have a strong constitutional system. But as you know, conservatives have seized on a comment by former Secretary Hillary Clinton when she said Joe Biden should not concede under any circumstances because I think this is going to drag out. Since that time, her aides have said that was just specific to election night. But other Democrats have said she shouldn't have said that at all. You think that's damaging? The way I would put it is this, Margaret. Uh, Whoever does not win the election uh, should have more respect for the Constitution and our democracy rather than his own 
political fortunes. And we've seen that time and again. For example, the very eloquent concession speech by John McCain mm -hmm. in 2008. Uh, the, the candidate has to care more about the democracy than whether or not he or she wins. That's the way I'd put it. Very quickly, you're a former prosecutor. The Breonna Taylor decision in Louisville is continuing to lead to protests. What do you make of that case? Well, I hesitate to uh, sit in judgment if I'm not privy to all the evidence. Uh, the charge that has been uh, um, brought up against this particular officer, I think it's wanton endangerment. It's, it's, it's as if you're acting in a mode of self-defense, but you're firing into a crowded uh, theater indiscriminately. It's hard for me to distinguish that and that charge against that officer and those who fired directly at Breonna Taylor. But we'll know more soon is my hope. All right. Secretary Johnson, thank you for your insight. And we will be back in a moment. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Bite.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Bite. CBS News estimates this year that at least 80 million people will vote early in person or by mail. That's a big increase from 2016. Make sure you have a plan on how you will vote and where. Go to cbsnews.com forward slash vote. We'll be right back with a lot more Face the Nation. Up next is former White House counsel Don McGahn. Stay with us. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Welcome back to Face the Nation. We want to go now to former White House counsel Don McGahn. He joins us from Owings Mills, Maryland. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. Sure. Uh, you know Amy Coney Barrett. Um, you vetted her. You put her on the list of judges in the first place that was considered by President Trump. Um, but he passed her over last time and went with Brett Kavanaugh. What gave you pause then, and, and are you certain she will be confirmed this time? Uh, I, think, I think the president's made an outstanding choice in nominating her. He promised justices in the mold of Nino Scalia, great, great justice. The clerk for Scalia became a protege of his, and I think she's a fantastic judge. There's no reason why the Senate shouldn't confirm her, and I think she's already had this career on the bench, and it will continue on the Supreme Court. But what gave pause last time? I mean, some, sometimes it's hard to predict how judges will uh, actually rule on individual cases. Um, but it, is there something that we should be scrutinizing here uh, in, in terms of her stance? I mean, Democrats are assuming she's against Affordable Care and against Roe versus Wade. Are those fair assumptions? I don't think they're fair assumptions one way or the other. We've heard this for decades in Washington, D.C. I remember being... A, a very young law student and hearing this about Robert Bork and hearing this about Clarence Thomas and hearing this about virtually every justice that's been nominated by a Republican. Uh, you cannot guarantee results with judges. What you can guarantee is that they are going to approach the task of judging as a judge. They're not going to substitute their own policy views for the will of the people. They're going to try to play straight and read the law as passed by Congress and as found in the Constitution, not based upon what they think it ought to be, but what it is. I disagree that there was any hesitancy or pause last time. Uh, she was a relatively new federal judge. She was placed on a short list. 
the public found out about the shortlist because it was publicly announced. So the process has really been transparent. Recall the president, even as a candidate, put out not one but two lists of judges who could be on the Supreme Court, updated a few times since. So I think that at the time, Brett Kavanaugh was the right person at the right time. And I think Amy, Judge Amy Barrett is the right person at the right time now. Why is Senator McConnell rushing this through now? Some people are speculating it's because he thinks Trump might lose or that Republicans want her vote there as the debate over Obamacare begins. Why rush it? I, I disagree that it's being rushed. I think it actually, if you look at historical precedent, is following regular order. One goes back into history. It's one pretty short timeline. Most, well, Frankfurter went through uh, 12 days start to finish. You just say, well, that's ancient history. What about modern times? John Paul Stevens, who's become a hero of the left, went through 16 days start to finish. Sandra Day O'Connor went through in 33 days start to finish. And Ruth Bader Ginsburg went through 42 days start to finish. So there is time to do it. It is not outside of the norm. You don't think it's about Uh, the election? Well, I certainly think that there's an imminent election, and obviously everyone's talking about the election. But I think when the president makes a nomination, he's obligated to do so under the Constitution. This has happened 29 times in our history where there's been election year Mm -hmm. uh, nomination, and it's it's, uh, happened before. It'll probably happen again. Uh, And even Justice Kennedy, who many hold up as a a model justice, uh, was, was confirmed and appointed in an election year in 1988 when President Reagan wasn't even on the ballot. Mm-hmm. So this idea that somehow this is out of the norm simply doesn't ring true. So when you were at the White House, this was your project. Um, and looking at Pew Research, one of many, but one yes. of many fair. But President <laughs> Trump, <laughs> we'll get to that. President Trump has appointed more federal appeals court judges to date than any recent president. He's not sitting around reading legal briefs, as you talked about. There's a list that was put in front of him of possible choices. You've been working with Mitch McConnell to really have this be a conveyor belt that has helped to confirm these in in a high number. But do you worry that that kind of churn um, and and this process can can undermine faith that, that the court is above the political fray? Well, the court ought to be above the political fray. That's the point of the court. We have three co-equal branches, and the court is supposed to be removed from it. Uh, it's done in a variety of ways. One is life tenure. Two is the confirmation process itself. And the president can't simply pick. It has to be with the advice consent of the Senate. But I think if you look at the judges President Trump's put on the bench, it's going to go down in history as a, as a monumental achievement of his presidency. He has put a number of, of judges on who are eminently qualified went to top schools, did well in the schools they went to, clerked at the Supreme Court themselves, or A-list circuit judges, had stellar careers. It's your list. I know you like it. But I said it's your list. I know you like it. (laughs) But so so, bigger picture, though. It doesn't change the credentials, though. I'm not saying that. No. Great, but the paper, but if you look at the facts, it's a fantastic job. There's really no arguing with the, with the merit of, the, of these nominees. Your name appears in the Mueller report 529 times. Um, and Amy Barrett's name appears nowhere in the Mueller report. Sure. She just got nominated. I understand. But we're talking about justice and judges. Given the president's challenges with the law and his obligation under the Constitution to, to take care that the law be faithfully executed, do you think there's a contradiction here? Do you think he deserves four more years in office? I think if you look at his record, he does. He had the economy going wonderfully. He made a number of promises on the campaign trail. You will vote for him. One of the judicial selection, which he's done. He's had a record number of judges on there on the circuit courts. And this really matters. And look, there's been since the 16 election, he has made this a, a, a critical issue. Yeah. He was very transparent and ran on it. It really helped in the 2016 election. And there's been an intervening election and two Supreme Court nominees and confirmations. And those who supported Trump's judicial nominations did pretty well yeah. in re-election. Those who opposed not. So the I'm people gonna, have spoken not once, but twice. And I'm going to take that as a yes for you from you that you're voting for him again. All right. Don McGahn, thank you this morning for your insight. We'll be right back. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. 
Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. And we are back with former FDA Commissioner Dr. Scott Gottlieb, who joins us from Westport, Connecticut. Good morning to you. Good morning. Uh, last Sunday, you said there are 30 states where there's an expanding epidemic. Uh, we spoke to the White House chief of staff this morning uh, and pointed out to him that, that hospitalizations are no longer declining. What do we need to be prepared for? What does this trend indicate? Well, I think there's a, still a question whether or not this is the beginning of an upsurge heading into the fall and the winter, or we're seeing sort of a post-Labor Day bounce. Um, clearly, we've seen a rise in cases across the country right now. Hospitalizations, as you said, they were declining. They're no longer declining. There's some indication they're starting to rise again, which would be expected now that cases are going up. Whether this is the start of a persistent trend heading into the fall and the winter, or it's just a temporary upsurge and we level off again is unclear. I think that there's a lot of concern that we could start to see a real upsurge, and this is a continuation of a broader trend underway as we head into the colder months. We were always facing heightened risk of increased spread of coronavirus as we headed into the fall and the winter. Now we're there. We're starting to see that increase, um, and we're taking a lot of infection into a very dangerous season for this virus. Uh, the chief of staff talked about his conversation with the FDA and drawing into question their revision to guidance. But he said it will be forthcoming on the vaccine. What did you interpret his comments to mean? Well, look, I, I don't think that this guidance represented a revision in the agency's standards or in any kind of high, higher bar. What this was was an articulation of the principles and standards that the FDA has been using for a long time and frankly, been communicating to the companies that are developing vaccines. So a lot of these principles have already been communicated to the companies are, and are, in fact, being followed. And as you know, I'm on the board of Pfizer. But I also talked to a lot of the other clinical development leads and the other companies working on vaccines. And I think that there was widespread agreement um, that these principles, as they were discussed in the press, were mostly in line with everyone's expectations. And so whether or not the agency issues the guidance, I think this is going to be the basis for which they make decisions. Now, I would prefer that they're able to issue the guidance in its entirety in the way that they envision it, because that would provide more transparency around the basis that they're using to judge these vaccines. But whether they release it or they don't, I think these are going to be the principles that govern that process. And what should we expect from a vaccine? Dr. Fauci said this week that it won't be 100 percent effective. What can Americans expect? Well, look, we don't know yet. We don't have the data. There's major trials underway with more than 30,000 patients in each trial. Pfizer enrolled 44,000, Moderna 30,000. J&J just announced a trial with 60,000 patients. So these are major outcomes trials. So we should wait and see what the data ultimately shows. But the expectation is that this vaccine is going to be partially protective, a lot like the flu vaccine, where for certain people it will provide full immunity. But for other people, it's not going to provide as much protection. Maybe it will lessen the severity of COVID if they contract the infection. But it's not going to provide what we call sterile immunity, which, you, which means you're not going to be able to get infected with COVID. There will be some people who still get infected with COVID. That's the expectation. Now, it could be that the vaccines prove to be much more effective than we expect. Mm -hmm. It could be that the vaccines prove to be a lot less effective than we expect. But I think that should be the base case, the, the base expectation of individuals. Do you agree with the CDC director that 90 percent of Americans remain susceptible to this virus? That's what the data shows. I mean, CDC has some data that they've developed looking at antibodies across the country, basically layering tests onto normal blood drawers being done by LabCorp and Quest to look at how many Americans have antibodies to coronavirus. And so they're deriving some of that information from that very large project that they've undertaken. But other studies seem to indicate about the same thing. About 10 percent of Americans have been exposed to this virus. The best modeling that I've seen that suggests that there could be a higher rate mm -hmm. of exposure suggests that maybe it's as high as 15 percent, but most of the models project around 10 percent. So it means a lot of the country is still very susceptible to this virus. There's a lot of room for it to run. Right. And, and you know I ask you that because one of the members of the task force, Dr. Scott Atlas, directly refuted the CDC director. So I just wanted to be on the record clarifying that. There have been um, a lot of reports out there that even if you get COVID and you survive, that you have related health problems afterwards. What do we know at this point what the impact of the virus is? 
We don't know the full impact on the virus. What we're seeing in, in various studies is that there is some long-term sequelae related to the virus, so we don't really understand what the relationship is to the virus itself. The virus does seem to trigger in, in certain people, rarely, but in certain people, some kind of autoimmune type of phenomena where you get some persistent symptoms from the virus. And when you're infecting so many people with the virus as we are, even a small percentage of patients having some persistent symptoms ends up being a lot of people. And so there's more and more evidence of this. This syndrome hasn't been fully characterized, um, but there is, I think there is enough evidence right now to suggest that there are people who are having long-term sequelae from the infection. Dr. Gottlieb, thank you, as always, for your insight. The airline industry is one of the hardest hit this year due to the coronavirus, and we want to go now to the CEO of American Airlines, Doug Parker, who joins us from Fort Worth, Texas. Good morning to you. Good morning, Mark. You announced Friday uh, that you came to terms with the U.S. Treasury for a $5.5 billion loan. You could get another $2 billion if you need it. How long will this money last, and does it mean you won't have to carry out the 19,000 furloughs and job cuts you predict will happen this week? Oh, yeah. Look, there's, we have plenty of liquidity. Um, this, this, uh, that loan is part of the CARES Act from back in March. Uh, some really important legislation, I think, for our country, certainly for our business, for the airline industry. It provided $25 billion of loans to airlines. Uh, and that loan you're talking about is just the closing of our prorated share of that loan. Uh, but it also provided $25 billion of payroll support, essentially a pass-through, a pass-through to the airlines uh, to pay our people, even though we didn't have full work for them, to keep airlines moving to keep the country moving. Um, that's those, both of those things are really important. Uh, the loan program uh, is complete. Uh, the payroll support program, unfortunately, expires on October 1st. Back in March, uh, we all thought demand would be back. We wouldn't need support beyond this beyond this time. Mm-hmm. Uh, unfortunately, that hasn't been the case. So on October 1st, uh, that program, absent being extended, is going to expire. And indeed, there are going to be 100,000 uh, aviation professionals who are out of work who wouldn't be otherwise. That's why we're fighting so hard uh, to get that payroll support extended. So to be clear, your plan is still this week to lay off or furlough 19,000 people. Our plan, actually, is to get uh, uh, Congress and the administration to come together and get the COVID relief package passed that, inc- that will include support. Uh, Do and you have any reason to believe that program. is going to happen? We do. There's enormous bipartisan support for it. Uh, we have uh, Republicans, Democrats, the administration all saying, uh, but knowing that this is the right program, that it makes sense, uh, that indeed it should be extended uh, because uh, airline employees provide critical infrastructure. And once we furlough those employees, uh, it's really hard, for example, to get pilots back in training. Uh, so once, once, once we've furloughed mm-hmm. and shrunk airlines, our ability to continue to provide services needed to pull the economy back out of this. Right. Uh, is going to be severely hampered. So, yeah, there's enormous support for it. Uh, you know, we have everyone putting us in every bill they have. We just need the bills to be laws. We need we need <laughs> laws, not bills. Um, but that's, that's, a, what, that's, that's what we're trying to That's what we're going to do. I'm actually confident we can get it done. <laughs> I'm glad you're confident because um, the hopes and as, as, as you're laying out there, I mean, Congress is just completely stalled on this. Did the White House give you an assurance that they will step in and give some kind of emergency aid to you if Congress can't deliver by September 30th. That he's interested in, in uh, doing executive order, if it makes sense. We think the better plan is to get legislation passed between now and then. We really do believe it can happen. We're certainly there's certainly not much time left, but there's enough time. Uh, and uh, again, in some, oftentimes uh, a deadline that like this is what is needed uh, to get action. We're hoping that's the case. We're letting everyone know that this is a real deadline. Mm-hmm. Uh, indeed, 100,000 aviation professionals are going to be out of work uh, come October 1st if we don't get people to come together. Uh, we're really hopeful they can. Again, we've been told by all sides that they are supportive of this, that it makes complete sense, uh, that they're on our side. We just need them to work to come together and do what's best for America and for our country and certainly for the airline business. As you laid out, it was taxpayers back in the spring that gave the $25 billion to help you make payroll. Um, the bet at the time was that the, our health professionals would have everything under control by September 30th, and that is just clearly not the case. So what's, I mean, how much money and for how long becomes the follow question here, right? I mean, how do you get customers to fly again before there's a vaccine? 
Well, we're seeing some increase um, in, in as, as customers begin to return to the skies, understanding that indeed it is safe to fly. We're seeing gradual improvement. Uh, the biggest thing, so a vaccine certainly uh, would be really helpful. But you know, in between there, uh, having quarantines go away, having uh, you know, in, uh, having companies bring people back into the office, returning to work, those types of things have huge impact on the need for air travel. Mm -hmm. we, we saw, you know, in American, we had our revenues were down some 85 percent in the second quarter. They're be yeah. down about 75% in the third quarter. They're going to be down about 65% okay. in the fourth quarter. And that's better than most companies. Yeah. Uh, but um, it's still down 65%. So yeah. it's a gradual return. But having revenues okay. down 65% nine months later is a big problem. All right. I'm sorry. I'm out of time. I got to leave it there. Good luck to you, sir. We'll be back in a moment. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Georgia has gone Republican in the last seven elections, but this is 2020. CBS national correspondent Mark Strassman reports. Make Georgia vote Trump again. That's the president's struggle in a state reliably Republican no more. This Trump stump on Friday pitched black voters. Racial justice begins with Joe Biden's retirement from public life. What the hell do you have to lose? Nothing, Stephen Stalker says. Democrats have never, ever done anything for us uh, as a black uh, People. Some Republican strategists admit to win an election night, the president needs Georgia to wear a MAGA hat. Not this Georgia Tech student. Biden at least appears to be making some effort to unite people. According to our CBS News battleground tracker, Georgia is a toss-up. President Trump just one point ahead. The big issues in a state with a roughly even split among voters in both parties, COVID, the COVID economy, the Supreme Court, and a summer of unrest. We're not Democrats that are burning down cities. For decades here, the late John Lewis thundered about the importance of voting. Turnout is critical for Joe Biden. On the front lines of Atlanta's suburbs and among the 30% of Georgia's registered voters who are black. Joe and Kamala uniquely understand. This Biden campaign ad targets black turnout. But in this Atlanta neighborhood, the motivation to get out to vote may be more about President Trump. I don't have to vote for Biden just because we have to. Why? To get Trump out. Voters are only somewhat confident their votes will be counted correctly, more so Republicans than Democrats. In person, I ain't trusting the mail stuff. A new lawsuit this weekend alleged security issues with voting machines. The third-party vendor is trying to fix it. In toss-up Georgia, this election's the most unsettled debate since sweet tea versus unsweet in a state where a Democrat for president last won in 1992. Mark Strassman, CBS News, Atlanta. Mark Strassman, thank you. The race is also close in nearby North Carolina, which has gone to Republicans the last two elections. Former Vice President Biden is currently up two points there with 48% support, President Trump is at 46 percent. Just how much of a factor is that Supreme Court battle becoming? CBS News Elections and Surveys Director Anthony Salvanto is in Westchester County, New York, with more on his findings. Anthony, what have you found? Uh, good morning, Margaret. Voters tell us they feel like it's raised the stakes in what was already a high-stakes election, one where many in these states tell us they feel like their culture and way of life is at stake. Let me show you this. A majority of voters in both these states feel like it's made the election even more important, especially Democrats feeling that way. But now both parties tell us that they are motivated to vote. Very high levels there. That's critical in an election that will probably all come down to turnout. But 
Let me remind everybody, don't forget about the economy. It still outranks the court and many other issues in both of these states. Coronavirus, also really important. And the reason that this is so critical, Margaret, is that the president has a lead on who would be better at handling the economy in both of these states and in many others we've polled. In fact, across the board lately, we have seen a tightening of this race in state after state. Anthony, we know Republicans also want to hold on to their Senate majority. Do we have any indication on whether the fates of these Republican senators in southern states are directly tied to the president's fortunes? Uh, well, some of it is, Margaret. Let me start in South Carolina, Republican, reliably Republican state. But here we find that incumbent Senator Lindsey Graham is in a very tight race with Democratic challenger Jamie Harrison. One reason is that while Republicans like the fact that he is close to the president, moderates and independents especially, feeling like he agrees with Donald Trump too much. And it's a similar story in North Carolina, where incumbent Tom Tillis is down to Democrat Cal Cunningham. Same story. Anthony, given a record number of people are expected to vote by mail, will we know how this race is headed uh, before November 3rd? Some of it will be in the bank, as they say, because of so much. In fact, a majority of the votes will be cast before Election Day. If you look at two states here, starting with North Carolina, look at how many Democrats over Republicans say that they want to vote by mail or absentee, and then a sizable number also are going to vote in person early. I suspect that when we get to Election Day, we'll be looking at whether or not Republicans can turn out in large numbers on Election Day, maybe to make up that deficit. The fact is that they've done it before in the past, and they say they're going to do it again. But one other wrinkle in this, Margaret, is that Republicans say that they find navigating the voting process very easy in higher numbers than Democrats do. In a race where you're going to have different kinds of voting, that's going to be really important to what those turnout numbers ultimately become, Margaret. And I know, Anthony, you'll keep us honest on this complicated process this election year. Thank you very much. That's it for us today. We will see you next week. I'm Margaret Brennan. Today's guests were White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows, Delaware Democratic Senator Chris Coons, former Homeland Security Secretary Jay Johnson, former White House Counsel Don McGahn, former FDA Commissioner Dr. Scott Gottlieb, and American Airlines CEO Doug Parker. The executive producer of Face the Nation is Mary Hager. This broadcast was directed by Allison Hawley. Face the Nation originates from CBS News in Washington. For more Face the Nation, we're online at facethenation.com, and you can follow Face the Nation and CBS Radio News on Twitter and Instagram. Face the Nation is also rebroadcast on our digital network, CBSN, at 11 a.m., 3 p.m., and 6 p.m. Eastern every Sunday. If you like Face the Nation with Margaret Brennan, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at Wondery.com survey. The Hargan women seem to have it all. We were blessed. My mom was amazing. But detectives would soon discover... Inside the house, there were the bodies of two women. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. I am just praying to God this is a sick joke. From 48 Hours, this is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings, wherever you get your podcasts. Are you ready for an all-new season of Survivor? You better be, because Survivor 46 is here, and it's 90 minutes of twists and turns you don't want to miss. Better yet, after each episode, there's a brand new episode of On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. Each week, we go behind the scenes of the episode's biggest moments, taking you into the how and the why things happened. And this season, we're very lucky to be joined by an expert, the winner of Survivor 45, Divya Daris. What is up? I'm thrilled to be joining this team and to be giving you my take on how and the why players made the moves they did what it takes to outwit, outplay, and outlast. And to ask Jeff some questions, because even after 26 days out there, there is still a lot for me to uncover. Bring it, D. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast.